You're listening to The Book End, a podcast for the emerging authors to read an excerpt from their own book and give us a lowdown on their writing process. They are also invited to share a poem or a prose piece by an author of their own choice. I'm your host Sahar Hashmi. You are tuned in to The Book End. You're listening to The Book End. We are so privileged to have a young emerging voice on the show today. A.R. Arthur. A.R. Arthur is a black mixed-race poet and writer who has spent his life in the UK, US and Kuwait. His poems have appeared in many literary journals and there are three chapbooks of poetry to his credit titled as The Great Northern Journey, Vultures and Half-Bread, which was the winner of 2021 The Poetry Question Chapbook Contest. His flash fiction was shortlisted and received an honorable mention in 2022, the Dilidon Flash Fiction Prize. He works as an editor-in-chief of Fahmidan Journal and Publishing. He is also the co-review editor of Full House Literary. Very warm welcome to the show, Archer. Thank you so much. Um, so how are you doing um, today? I'm well, thank you. That's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic to be here. And um, I feel very, very honored um, to be on your podcast. So thank you so much. How are you doing? No, great. And what about your New Year resolution? Uh, I think my New Year's resolution is to continue to work harder to support uh, writers of color and women writers because they are still um, so sorely underrepresented. Um, I recently wrote an article for Think and Inc. Um, in the last few months of 2023 mm-hmm. on um, the inequality that still exists. So essentially in the three years since the first sort of check-in in in a long time in terms of racial representation in publishing in the United States was in 2019. Um, The second that I read in 2022 highlighted that um, actually white representation increased from 76% to 79% in the three years, despite a lot of work done by the literary world to improve representation. And of course, women are still very, very, very rarely uh, represented as much as they should be. So that is my goal for 2024, to improve those areas. I think you are the first feminist poet on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, of course. We need to hear everyone's voices and that's what matters. Yeah, we would love to hear your poetry too. Would you like to kickstart the show with? All right. Thank you so much. So I'm going to start with three poems that were uh, published in the last two days, actually, in uh, Rigorous Journal, which is a journal for people of color. And um, something that's really important about Rigorous is that they uh, focus quite heavily on the fact that people of color, colors writing, excuse me, are often seen um, as not as rigorous and not as strong as those of other backgrounds. So I'm going to begin with uh, Done to Me. Betrayal is swiftly forgotten as tiresome discussions give way to grueling humbling, where conscious acceptance becomes the ultimate appeasement. Until muted, one grows forlorn and feverish with dejection, bodily rejection of mindful sacrifice. But fabrications maintain loose bonds, crumbling with every rationalized action. Until despondent, one resorts to truth. The uncovering of wayward lies we tell in hope of nocturnal slumber purifying. Um, And to continue with the other two published with rigorous, um, this is called Terminal. A cold front swirls with burning incense, creating a commotion in my mind. Turmoil guised by smoky transcendence and crescent 
nymph light, where I demand excellence in the face of the mundane, the dark voice that renders existence futile. A cold front breaks my isolation, creating agitation ethereal until my body slips into a delirium and sight becomes dazed by my avidity for relief. Gentle smoke that blurs that inner demon and silences that longing for the unknown. These are the whispers that break the spirit until solitude becomes too little and I cajole myself to the sound of lies as if I am no sinner, no broken man disturbed by mortality and ravaged by bodily corruption terminal. And finally, skin. I dine on biological truths, lust merely a chemical reproduced with ease, lovingly intended but seldom expressed. For we are organic matter, finite and dying in perpetuity, despite our yearning for acceptance, our hankering for touch. We trace rogue stretch marks that morph into amber skin until lust reaches a crescendo and we forfeit our desires in search of attentive cuddles, skin on skin contact, powerfully primal despite our insecurities. For we are mere bodies bruised and worn, two souls shuddering, embraced by the night. So now I'll be reading uh, Locked now, um, that was published in December with Cool Beans Literary. You lean in and savor my skin, bronze and worn with lashings of rogue hairs that no laser tame. But you do not care about my shame, my bodily image divided by foreign perceptions. No, you merge with my fears and travel the length of my saline discontent until I am fused with your heartbeat as your chest hair absorbs my fingertips lost in the jungle of lust a fever dream of calmness but we are hidden behind closed doors that render our union momentary legs entwined and lips locked in motion to continue i'll be reading three poems um in a showcase from fevers of the mind um which is an absolutely fantastic uh journal run by david l onan um and david's always been a very big support of writers like myself um so definitely shouting out fevers of the mind this is succulence this diseased body rests with multifarious spirits lost memories of forgotten lost memories of forgotten lives that mumble to the sound of time long lived a desolate expanse where dark succulents act as guardians to sigin crypts adorned with earthly advice cyclical slow elapsing. For abstruse concepts have been lamented by the living, now ancestors groaning as generations are replenished and challenged by the same forces that devour and maim the resting and growing until all advanced sentience ceases and only desert succulents remain at the cusp of finality. When you say the last two line and desert succulent remains at the cusp of finality. So you wonder about some of the philosophical issues of being as well instead of, you know, the like unlike the modern poetry which just circles around current affairs and our everyday life yeah no 100% and i think um it's very important to to explore the fact that you know uh, we're all questioning our existence our mortality our uh, the, the meaning of the things that we do in a world where we'll probably all be forgotten in a few generations, you know? You want to preserve that in your poetry. <laughs> I would like to, even if it is only for a few generations, for sure. This is ants. The sham shaman accuses me of amassing ants, as if I am some conjurer of animalia, some insect summoner laughable. These are her games, her innate contortions that give way to fetid airs, doltish dissension that grows until we are divided, like rival ants colony searching for unwanted nibbles strewn across the desolate roche. But the ant empire ebbs and flows as a hoax mystic begins a new campaign, a new onslaught of manipulation, where we are surrendered to her delusions and family bonds are frayed, then broken by her bony fingers, until all that can be seen is her amber eyes glowing, amassing ants just outside our door, reminding us of our disposability, our worthlessness 
in the face of her ambition, her never-ending calamities damning. This is a very interesting poem and it looks as if, you know, like I would like to know the backstory as if it's it's emerged sure. sort of, you know, observance or your experience. Yeah, definitely. This is a very personal poem. Um, I've had some absolutely, uh, I'd like to say bizarre character building experiences um, being part of an ultra mixed race family. So I'm black, white and Arab, you know, I am, um, you know, I'm not the first generation to be mixed either. So it can be um, rather challenging trying to fit in um, or um, better yet, uh, being the only child in uh, mm-hmm. one side of my family mm-hmm. has sort of made me a lot more receptive to seeing sort of the, the failures of previous generations and the lack of communication, sort of the anger, the up uh, the dysfunctionality that has become quite unhealthy. This poem is very, very much a reflection on the desolate state of the, the family unit, uh, but both also a reflection of my own really rather, um, uh, at times depressing, I should say, but I've, I've risen above them, really poor experiences with family who have let me down. Um, Being an an only child as well has emphasized that because I think you sort of learn who cares and who doesn't very quickly when, you know, um, you have to grow up earlier and you see, um, you know, adults behaving much like children. Out of all the poems that you do not uh, seem to be very fond of uh, using images and metaphors, you know, the most popular literary devices, that was the one that kind of stood out, the image of hands. Also the sham, yes. shaman, the whole image. Yes, no, of course. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, assonance and sibilance and, and sort of wordplay in general. So a lot of the metaphors that I use in my writing tend to be very obscure and they tend to be more uh, philosophical metaphors that are, I think, at, at times could be clearer. It's something at least early on in my career, I learned that I had to improve on that. But I say I, the older I get, the more I enjoy the obscurity in that. Um, I think a good poem should be clear with authorial intent, but should also make the reader work beyond the surface level. Um, as an editor, at least, I'll be saying that. <laughs> and that's your but, personal style as well. You Most of the time you are using implied imagery. It's not that obvious, but it's implied as they're in the background. Um, I guess so. <laughs> thank you that's for bringing that up. Yeah, that's your voice. Like we all have our voices. So. Yes, thank you. Um, So this is Spawn. This was also published, excuse me, in Fevers of the Mind. She speaks of a fanciful intent that drives her mortal living, a simple belief in other worlds disguised by the sunny veil of our naivety, our ignorant bliss. But she still exists her control, forgets and maims with her aging words until I remember the 30-something year old whose verbs and adjectives stung this child's mind. I realize that some have little but an imagined power that distorts their perception and blackens their tongue. But I see who you are, you spawn of alley, you titan tyrant of nothingness, you wayward soul born out of stupidity, not intent or power, simply delusions that help you ease the malaise of aging. Um, And the next piece I'll be reading is actually a very short flash fiction piece published um, in July of last year. Um, A small amount of literary folks know I am I'm a very much uh, a writer who's obsessed with the Netherlands. I go rather frequently. I consider it to be a, a, a secondary home. And I have a lot of friends um, in the community there that I absolutely just love to bits. Um, and this is sort of based off of um, a, uh, yeah, a very, very wonderful evening, but a very sad one because it was the closing of an era uh, post-COVID and with graduating from university and things like that. So this is called uh, Prinsengracht. And uh, Prinsengracht um, is uh, sort of Prince's Canal um, in Dutch. And it is one of the main 
canals that wraps around the canal belt um, in Amsterdam. Dullen skies began to turn from overcast to burdened by clouds that amass beyond cobbled streets and slanting homes as I approached a memory, only to be re revisited once more. But it is in the glasses of sparkling libation that true vulnerability arises, suffering guys by confidence and consumption. We spoke in parables of reflection as cigarettes crumbled and we sat collapsing into subtle intoxication, simple pleasures between friends lost to fleeting youth. But fear of the great unknown lurked behind glassy eyes that sparkled like an overflowing bottle of amber prosecco and sadness at necessary change silently unfolded. Bikes trembled and trees shook as saturated skies opened onto bystanders. But we stared on until the rain began to render our somber festivity smoldering. When we climbed steep stairs that twisted and turned like the ravages of time, things became as they once were. Young adults searching for identity and climbing the academic ladder that never seemed to cease. Only then did our childlike glee return momentarily until we trekked out into dismal downpour and makeup was smudged by aqueous gods that lamented our fear. Once we parted, I went on, drenched and downtrodden, but hopeful still, for in my haste, I absorbed the sound of my fading youth. But it was only in the repetitive tapping of bass hidden by headphones that I felt reprieve. Only then was I ushered through the onslaught of rain, soaking me to my core and lavishing tender nature on my soul. We had very light showers today here in Bahrain, a rainy start to the new year. So it's just kind of in sync, your point. And it's That's lovely. lovely. Yeah, and I absolutely love when it rains in the desert. I honestly, rain in Europe is just very um, depressing. But when it rains in the desert, because it's so rare, everyone loves it. You know? <laughs> we look forward to it. We pray for it, in fact. Yes, 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 we do. And I think that that's great. The fact that you've mentioned praying is perfect for the next poem um, that's tied in fantastically. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So my uh, penultimate poem for today is uh, called Pantum for the Departed. Um, I have a very, very, very... Um, very deep attachment to this poem. I wrote it the day that um, someone who, uh, in a, I'd say a past life who I was very close to died of um, uh, terminal cancer. Um, and it was in November of 2022. And it was very, um, it was very cathartic the day that uh, she died because she absolutely loved Christmas. And I was putting up a Christmas tree, like I planned, planned to that day. And I found out at 6.30 in the morning that she had died. And um, it was uh, rather difficult to say the least. But um, this poem was also uh, inspired um, at least in terms of the pontoon form uh, by Joan Quan Glass, um, who I absolutely love. And I call um, Auntie Joan all over Twitter because she is um, definitely someone to look up to in the literary world. Uh, this is Pontoon for the Departed and it was first published in Blue, The Blue Marble. The birds seem to sing the most haunting song at morning's break when the sun has broken on the day of burial, when moonlight succumbs to daily repose and life becomes awash in solar resplendence. When the sun has broken on the day of burial, when the women have wailed and washed the body, and life becomes awash in solar resplendence when the earth is broken and torn by darkened eyes. When the women have wailed and washed the body, eyes no longer descend on suffering, and life becomes awash in solar resplendence. Then men prostrate and utter, from Allah we must come and must return. Eyes no longer descend on suffering when sand begins to darken the burial shroud. Then men prostrate and utter, from Allah we must we come and must return. It is only when the ground is filled that we speak words unspoken. 
I was and then I felt that it's coming from a very, very deep, deepest, deep kind of place. But because it's still fiction, so you can't, you know, pass judgment that uh, you must have experienced something as close and as tragic as you just mentioned. It's a very poignant yeah. poem of yours. Tell me, Thank what you. is it that gravitated you towards poetry? And can you recall when you first wrote and why? And so, um, I I am weird, and I always say this to people, and that I never wanted to be a writer. I never wanted to be an author. It was never a goal. I just started writing. Um, I'm very lucky to have a grandmother who um, is, you know, has always been a very much a literature powerhouse. Um, she was a lecturer um, uh, in Kuwait until she was about 66, 67. And um, although she didn't really take the publishing route, she only has a couple poems that ever came out. She basically had a very strong grasp of English, a grasp of English that I think very few people can technically, in terms of the technicalities of English master. Um, and even as a first language speaker, I, I don't think I could ever reach her level. Um, and it's incredible because, you know, she's almost 80 years old and that hasn't changed in the slightest. Um, so she was definitely an influence. But what I would say is uh, my mom really influenced me reading wise. Now, I hated reading fiction as a child. So I gravitated towards fiction where it was sort of a blend between nonfiction and fiction. And I think that's what a lot of my writing is. It can have a fictionalized intent and it can elicit the emotions and, uh, and evocations of, of a really powerful fiction piece, or at least I hope they do. And they can also sort of link into the real world, the nonfiction that's happening around us. Because I think what people forget about poets and writing is everything in reality becomes a poet's sort of, you know, uh, bread and butter to make into a writing, yeah, a piece of writing or, or, or a prose writer, for example. And I always say to people during my workshops that I will be teaching very soon once again at the poet poetry question that even the most simple things like this mug right here can be you know the most mundane things can be special they can work as prompt as inspiration yes exactly exactly but i to, to fully recenter my answer to you I, my first poem I ever wrote was when I was about uh, 14, I think. I had a lovely literature teacher, uh, Miss Taylor, who I'll shout out. She was wonderful. She's one of, I think, probably the only uh, English teachers I have ever had that actually cared about doing her job and cared about her students. And I have immense respect for her. Um, she's definitely one of those few people that can think outside the box in terms of language. And uh, she was very much a great encouragement to me. I wrote her a poem um, thanking her for all her work uh, and helping me improve when I was in year eight. And and then um, I didn't start trying to publish again till I was about 16, 17. And then from then on, I've been trying very, very fervently. So yes, definitely not a traditional writer. I do not have a background in literature, um, but I have certainly developed a great deal of experience through the editorial side and writing side now independently. Um, so yeah, definitely a different story. <laughs> so it's like most people say that it's for self-expression. What about your writing discipline? What's it like? A structured, um, erratic, or it's up to your moods and whims? Well, um, I've talked quite heavily about this, but I'm I'm someone with um, autoimmunes and, and autoimmune conditions. And that sometimes means that I am not always in the best state of mind to write, you know, due to like bodily pain or just fatigue or just feeling tired. Um, and I'm uh, currently about to start my master's in international affairs as well um, next week, actually. So uh, I've been really trying to balance everything out. So I try to, um, I write when it comes to me. I don't, in, in a certain sense, I've said this to others 
this as well. I don't believe in writer's block because I think if you're a writer, you'll write when you feel it's the time it's necessary, even if that takes years. Now, I'm lucky in that I feel that I'm able to continuously produce writing and learn from that production, most importantly, so how I can improve and better my writing and help others um, every year. But I definitely think sort of the productivity I had when I was a little bit younger was definitely stronger, whereas I feel like now my craft is better rather than just trying to publish as much as possible. Um, so I definitely think that I'm not so rigid, but I wouldn't say it's erratic. I'd say it's just as I sort of it's on a whim. One day I feel like writing 10 poems, I'll write them. If another five months goes by and I write nothing, then that's fine, you know, but I do always submit. My submission um, sort of etiquette is continuous and relentless. Um, and having received well over 2000 rejections in my career, alongside the 260 uh, plus publications, I think that it's key to submit a lot. It's good to get rejected because then you can learn and you continuously learn as a writer and you can do better. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And it's an achievement, I would say. I'll just read Sanitize, which is the last one I have in the, for now. And it was uh, published by Straylight uh, Magazine. And uh, Straylight was also one of my first international publications um, in 2019. So again, um, this is a very new one, came out last year, but have a lot of love for Straylight as well. So this is called Sanitize. Rogue anguish is lost on the multiplicity where sudden terror becomes the norm. Savage bloodshed drying layer after layer until eyes are mere sockets. Desensitized constructions that sanitize minds and purify hearts with a faulty sense of justifiable acceptance. Manufactured lies we tell ourselves in order to toss and turn at night in her hope of nocturnal reprieve. But we are intent on sacrilege and resolve to banal violence that destroys our carbon collectivity until lands are pillaged and children plunge into shallow graves awash in raw anime until the skies collapse and winds are merely a hymn to a fraudulent humanity departed that a few of these poems today mm -hmm. that you've uh, heard um are very much linked to this idea of nocturnal reprieve um i think you probably heard that thing twice maybe three times I today did. That, yes it's it's sort of they're all they're all in one collection first and foremost but there's this idea that uh is, is that uh, you know how do bad people sleep at night um and it, being a bad person is subjective in itself and as a sociologist i feel like i'd you know be incorrect to say that we can just assume someone is a bad person based on whatever actions because there's always reasons and other factors but but I think we can all agree deep down there are a lot of bad things that happen that we can all collectively agree on. And a lot of people get away with these bad. And it's something that I do want to reflect in my writing through some of the less um, palatable experiences I've had, both in the literary community and in my own life, because I think through that universality of suffering that we all experience, we can all find hope within that and, and find some semblance of peace and moving on. So how, you just mentioned your literary community. So how did your work go down with your literary community and especially the immediate one that you are in contact with? In terms of online literary community, I have developed, you know, a lot of uh, really friendships with people who I have a, a deep amount of respect for, people who I will go out of my way to see whenever I travel next, if I'm near them or they're near me. I would say that I do have a good deal of support, but I also feel that I'm lucky in that I've had people who are willing to critique my writing and tell me where I could improve. Now, again, I don't have an MFA. I don't think you need an MFA to be a writer. Indeed, many writers and poets previously who were well acclaimed in the last few hundred years did not have degrees or had honorary degrees. It is a myth in the 20, uh, 21st century that um, you have to have a degree to be a good writer. And I also think that there is a very big obsession with educational inflation, um, sociologically speaking, you know, assuming that everyone has to get multiple degrees to be good at something. That is absolutely farcical, but just simply, plainly not the truth. Um, so it's very, very important to me um, to sort of find out, find new communities and reach new communities through my own writing and through helping others in the literary world. So what I will say is on 
online, yes, I definitely have that support. I do have a lot of supportive friends, many of whom aren't writers themselves. So, um, you know, that can always be interesting to see their thoughts on writing because it's, uh, I think coming from a pure non sort of understanding background makes it more interesting. But I would say in general, in person, um, beyond my like my circle of friends, it, it's, uh, it's very hard to have an active in-person writer community unless you're pretty much in the West um, or live constantly in the West. I found that, you know, in the, in the Middle East, of course, where I spent most of my life and elsewhere, there's not as much sort of community around writing, especially in English. But um, I hope that changes. So do I. Here's I'm hoping it. I'm just trying to, you know, just contribute my bit into it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think there's, um, I think in some cases, the West has moved more towards um general equality whereas you know we need to see more of that in the east now um you know like equality of thought equality of speech equality of writing i mean i definitely think that that's obviously harder to achieve uh for many obvious reasons um in non-anglophone let alone non-western countries no we are making our baby steps towards it i i, I do think there there's a slow shift and i i do hope to fully see it's the fruits of that shift in my lifetime we'll be there we'll be there Don't worry. i have a few today they're very short and i'm hoping i can get them all in otherwise i'll just mention the poet's names um, but the first poem I'm going to read is by Rasha Abdul Hadi, uh, who I have a great deal of respect for, not only um, for their views, but their tenacity to speak up. So this is Pocketful of Warding Stones. This was published in October of last year and uh, on Poetry Online. How much of the weight of time we carry is the burden the murderers gave us? And whose ends do we serve to hate ourselves for not dying as easy as they wanted? What firekeeper can scrape the char of guilt from this burning offering? Pull air over embers of grief and longing. Find some flint in the heart left to light. How can we untie living grief from the longing to have done more and find instead what more could yet be our best be done? We can hold ourselves responsible, yes. Refuse a rebellion captive or complicit. Confess instead a broader bravery on which to spend the coin of our lives. We who tangle, untangle, loss from creation by blowing it to bits. Why obscure grief? Why hoard it or hide its face as if a siphon could drain an ocean no let them hear the holes when we sing and i will also quickly do us an extract um of nor hindi who is also a fantastic writer um and i will say now as i don't think i'll have time um i'd like to shout out joan Juan glass and uh rushna wadia both two excellent poets who i will maybe send over links to hopefully you could check their poems out too at some point thank you so this is nor hindi's news and it was published with poet poets excuse me.org in 2020 i'm not a poet anymore I've interviewed too many politicians. All they care for is ghosts. Breaking news. I'm breaking up with my stupid shame. I have dates on my calendar just for fucking. I do this between my nine to five. Hello. Hello. I am quieter than I seem. I'm a man in a suit. Please pass the damn hookah. Please tell the magistrates I'm tired of reporting. My desire to fix this window is corrupt. Your desire to call your looking through this window an act of social justice is corrupt. At a protest, a white woman calls me fake news. Okay, fine. Tell her back. I don't smile anymore. I, I do the job so well, I outcry the eagles. I outrun the sad. I trouble my brain into a blender, then hand you a cup. My mother holds a butterfly to the sky, white winged glimmering mess. Someone, please snap a photo. My shoes are drenched in blood. So those four um, absolutely fantastic um, women and non-binary poets are absolutely wonderful 
wonderful, wonderful uh, talent. So I think we're very lucky to have in the literary community nowadays. What do you plan to do with this art that you are gifted with? Well, I have to say, I think something I've reflected on very much lately, I was recently rejected from an MFA program in the United States um, after extensively speaking to the counselor and really thinking I had a shot based not only on my publications and my reviews, the editorial work and the, the work I had done to sort of learn to do better. Just a lot of community support in the literary world. And I, and I thought, you know, I'm going to try to get this MFA. Being rejected um, was rather hard because I, I you know, I, I assumed I fulfilled all the requirements. And I think what that taught me was I no longer wish to seek institutional uh, acknowledgement for my writing. I think I enjoy writing. I love it. And I will always continue to write and hopefully publish. Here's hoping. But I'm no longer set on being institutionalized. I'm no longer set on sort of fitting into the boxes that, you know, essentially predominantly white, you know, uh, Western institutions assume for the rest of the world. Um, I'm no longer going to allow myself to to feel that I have to be performative in my identity to achieve these goals. Um, and it's something I have discussed extensively with uh, colleagues and friends. So I definitely think I'm just going to continue enjoying the craft, enjoying the writing and learning to do better and write better uh, rather than taking it academically. That's a lovely plan. Thank you. That brings us to the end of the show. Arthur, thanks a lot for making time for the bookend. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. It was lovely having you, talking to you. You were tuned in to the bookend. I'm your host Sahar Hashmi signing off. You can listen to the book and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Insta at thebook.and. For requests, features and suggestions, get reading with the book and.